I want to talk to you this morning on the topic, the greatest temptation you will ever face. The greatest temptation you'll ever face. And I would love for you to join me in the book of James, the first chapter, James chapter one. And we will begin our reading in verse 13. James 1.13, as you're turning there, I would like for you to think to yourself and ask yourself the question, what is the greatest temptation that I have ever faced? Or you might even ask yourself, what is the greatest temptation that I face even now? And what I want to do is suggest to you that there's a possibility that there is a greater temptation even than the one that you're thinking of, and it's one that we all face. The first chapter of James, the 13th verse, beginning to read, let no one say, when he's tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my brothers, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Now, it begins by giving us an idea that there is at least a tendency in us when we go through a time of temptation to basically try to figure out where God fits in that temptation. And sometimes we misunderstand God in the midst of a pressurized set of circumstances. Because temptation can sometimes bring with it confusion, sometimes with it shame, sometimes with it uh, various kinds of emotions, sometimes anger, sometimes a sense of self-disappointment. And things of that nature. And sometimes under those circumstances, our, our theology gets a little bit messed up, right? It's not how we ordinarily think about God. It's how we think about God in those times of pressure, in those times of temptation, in those times of trial. Now, the Bible makes it very clear that there is a temptation that is associated with the human person. 
That is to say, this is not a spiritual temptation. It, it's, just, it's a temptation that starts from within, and it works itself through the human person. It's a, it's a human experience. It's not something that is uh, demonic, at least not in this particular instance. So consider what's going on here. He's saying, based, this is what James is saying, based on your own personal desires, you will, at times, move from point A, that is, the term, best term is, is evil desires, moving into a place of sin, right? And so temptation is basically how it evolves from a desire to an action or whatever the case might be. Now, I think the best thing for us to do initially is to consider what sin is, right? So let's just say for now, let's have a working definition. Working definition of sin might be to be in some way or another unfaithful to the revealed character of God. To be unfaithful to the revealed character of God. Because sin goes back farther than the law, right? Adam and Eve didn't have the Mosaic law, but they were still able to commit a violation, still able to commit sin. And that was based on the fact that they knew what God was like, they knew what God wanted, and they chose to be unfaithful to that reality. So now here's what's going on in our case. There are times when we will be tempted to be unfaithful to what we know God is like. Now, that can involve two kinds of sin. It can involve what we sometimes call the sin of commission, where we do things that are wrong, and it can also involve the sin of omission, where we don't do things that are right. So, for instance, the golden rule says... Do unto others what you would have them do unto you. Now, there's another thing that's called sometimes the silver rule, right? It's not in the Bible, but it is in tradition. And it says, don't do to someone what you would not want them to do to you. And now, it seems like it's just a negative way of saying the same exact thing, but it's really not. Because when it says don't do something to someone, it's an issue of commission. It's an issue of doing a thing. So don't do evil if you don't want evil done to you, that kind of a thing. But the other one is a sin, or that can be rather, a sin of omission. Because what it's basically saying is anything that you would want done to you or for you, you have to find someone and do that for them. So the one is saying don't do wrong. The other is saying in essence, go out of your way to do right. Find a way to give to someone what you would have given to you. Now, that's very important for us to grasp because the longer you and I are Christians, the less we're going to be tempted to do a lot of evil things. So the sins of commission are going to be less and less of an issue. It's the sins of omission that can become problematic. That is to say, sometimes the longer you are a Christian and the more you give, 
And the more you serve, the more you're going to deal with a negative kickback from the good that you do. That is to say, the more you're going to realize, thank you so much, the more you're going to realize that when you do good, you don't always receive good. And so there is always a temptation to stop doing good. And we settle for simply not doing bad. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> and so we're able to say, listen, I, I didn't beat anybody up today. But, <laughs> but at the same time, I didn't lift anybody up today either. Because sometimes lifting people up Especially, you ever heard of a, a situation where somebody can be drowning and they say, if you, if you try to save a drowning person because they are in a panic, there's a possibility that they will try to pull you down with them, right? It's not that they want to, but they're in a panic. And oftentimes, as we're trying to reach out to people, they will try to pull us into their circumstances. So if they're, dis, if they're despondent or if they're depressed or whatever the case might be, by the time they get through telling us why they're depressed or why they're despondent, you know, and I'm not talking about clinical depression, I'm just talking about somebody who's really in a bad, may, a bad way or a bad mood. By the time they get through rattling off all their reasons, it's almost difficult for us to walk out of there smiling, right? You know what I mean? <laughs> and so there's a, there's a time when we see that same person walking down the way, right? You know, you see him on the job there, you know, you see him walking down the, you know, down the hallway, you know, and, and everything in you wants to turn and we're at the nearest corner, right? You know what I mean? And if there's no corner, you just want to kind of pace yourself to the wall and hope that they don't see you. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, you just hoping that you blend into the woodworks, right? Because there is this, this thing in us that says, I don't want to do this thing because every time I do it, it feels like I come under an attack, or it feels like I come under a time of difficulty. And sometimes it's the same thing. When, you, when you're ministering on any level, you might notice all of a sudden I'm being fought on this level, I'm being attacked on this level, I'm going through this kind of a difficulty and that kind of a difficulty. And there is this thought that says, maybe, maybe God is telling me now I don't have to do this anymore. Maybe God is telling me, you've put in your time, you've given it your all, and now it's time to pull away, right? And it's almost as though God is tempting us, it seems, to do the exact opposite of what he told us to do. And it seems like he's given us an excuse to walk away from a ministry that when we first started, we were absolutely concerned beyond equivocation, beyond the shadow of a doubt, that God called us to it. Now what James is saying is, don't allow yourself to implicate God in any temptation. See, because there are two temptations now in this text that I want you to consider. One is the natural temptation. It's a human temptation. It's that human thing that says, I really am tired. I've given what I could give. I've done what I could do. And now it's time for me to pull back. Because I'm not seeing, Jeremiah said it very simply put. He was very concerned about the fact that God called him to a certain ministry. 
He was very concerned about the fact that it was more than he had anticipated. It cost more than he had anticipated. It got a negative kind of result. It wasn't anything like what he expected. And here's what happened with Jeremiah. For a minute, and you see it in this text, for a minute he said something that kind of strikes you as, as almost, almost sacrilegious, almost blasphemous, but it was really the cry of someone whose heart was overwhelmed. And he says to the Lord, you deceived me. And the context was, when you called me initially, I told you I was too young. But you said to me, don't say you're too young. Go into this ministry. I will take care of you. I will give you a face, he said, as, as hard as flint. In other words, I will put you in a situation that no matter what comes against you, you will not stop. You will not quit. You will persist, right? So now he's going through a difficulty. Remember, they, they throw him into you know, a pit, and they, every time he tries to preach, he's getting thrown in jail. He's getting beaten up, and so on and so forth. And at some point, he said, Lord, you, you deceived me. In other words, he seems to be saying, Lord, you told me that I could do this thing, and that I would go forth with your power and with your grace, and no matter what came against me, I would never feel like giving up. But now I feel like giving up. And he's implicating God in that. And what James is saying is, don't implicate God in those moments. See, there's, there's two temptations going on here, not just one. The one is the natural thing. I'm tired and I feel like giving up. And maybe, just maybe, God either didn't tell me the whole story or sometimes even worse, Maybe, just maybe, God is telling me it's okay to give up. I know I said this the other day, but I changed my mind. I know I told you you would have a face as hard as flint. I know I told you that you would persist and nothing could stop you. I know I told you that the gates of hell could not prevail against you. I know I told you that, but it's a little bit rough right now, and I'm just going to take you from here, and I'm going to put you over there. That is to say, I know I told you when I gave you this particular job that the, the boss is not going to be serving the Lord and he's going to not pay you what you need to be paid. And, and I know that I told you that your co-workers are not going to be serving the Lord, but you're going to be a missionary to that community and you're going to reach out to those brothers and sisters around you and you're going to begin to draw people to Christ. But you've been there for 10 years, 15 years, and nobody's yet come to the Lord or maybe one or two, but it's getting worse and you're being, you're being bypassed for promotions and you're not getting the kind of money. So now I'm telling you, it's time to go to another place. Even though I told you before that I'm going to use you as a missionary in this place. Or some, part, some person might say, well, you know, God, I know you told me that this is the one for me. This is the person for me that we're going to be together till death do us part. And I know you gave me the grace and you gave this person the grace to say these wonderful vows in your presence. But now it's gotten difficult. And the going has gotten rough. And I get a sense that I, I can sense the Lord saying to me, it's all right to leave this person that you've been married to. It's all right to go. And what James is saying is, don't be deceived. 
You see, there's another temptation going on. Not just a temptation to leave. Not just a temptation to quit. You might be in a situation where you're in, you're in ministry and you're doing a lot of good ministry and all of a sudden, you're coming under every kind of attack. Friends, family, hurting, suffering. And something in you says, maybe I ought to leave the ministry and just devote myself to this person. But it was God who called you to the ministry. But you, you, you seem to hear God saying, no, it's all right now. I'm, I'm taking you out of this and I'm putting you over here. But what James is saying is, do not be deceived. What I'm suggesting to you is the real temptation is not your or my temptation to not do the right thing under a certain set of circumstances. The real temptation is not the one that comes from within. It's not the human temptation. It's the one that comes from without. It's the demonic temptation. You see it a couple of times in this text. Do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. So what's going on here is the enemy will see your struggle. He will see the difficulty of the moment. And then what he'll try and do is come to you acting like he's speaking on behalf of God. Sometimes acting like he is the voice of God. And he would say, God has changed his mind. I know God stationed you here, but it's getting too hard over here. It's getting too difficult over here. You're not appreciated over here. You're not embraced over here. You're not empowered over here. You're not enabled over here. And so God is going to take you and he's going to put you over here where everything is going to be wonderful. Everything is going to be perfect. Everybody's going to like you. Everybody's going to treat you well. They're going to pay you what you're worth. Right? <laughs> they're going to embrace you every time you walk through the door. Even if they have a thousand other employees, they're going to remember you. That's the temptation to avoid the commission that's on your life and to omit the things that you know to be right. Because you know over here, it was rough, but it was a mission field. It was rough, but it was where God called you. It was rough, but it was where you were able to make a spiritual difference, an eternal difference. You're able to change people's lives forever. The enemy comes with, a, with another kind of temptation. So the first temptation comes from within. It's, it's from the flesh. It says, it's hard over here. I want to go over there. But the next temptation comes from the enemy. And it says, and God is okay with that. You ever notice the nature of idolatry? Is, idolatry is not the sin that we commit. It's the idol that says it's okay to commit that sin. Idolatry is that thing that justifies doing the wrong thing or that justifies avoiding doing the right thing. 
So the enemy comes and he says, God has somehow changed. And you have somehow changed. You're no longer that person that God called from the womb. You're no longer that person that God has given the word. You're no longer that person that God has given a countenance like Flint. You're no longer that person. You're the kind of person now who runs away from a challenge, who runs away from difficulty, who runs away from hardship. He, so he's trying to re redefine you, and then he's trying to redefine God. And God is okay with that. The God who called you, the God who commissioned you, the God who has empowered you, the God who's using you to save lives, the God who's using you as an example of his glory and of his honor, has all of a sudden changed his mind. And he's saying it's okay for you to go to greener pastures. It's okay for you to go to places that are more easy. But that's never true. It can't be true. Because according to what the Bible says, God doesn't change. In verse 16, do not be deceived. My beloved brethren, every good and every perfect gift is from above. And comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own free will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Now, consider how this works. Every good and perfect gift, that includes you. You are a gift from God. That includes your commission, your mission, your purpose your ministry. You are a gift from God to this generation. Your ministry is a gift from God to this generation. Your commitment is a gift from God to this generation. Your willingness to do the right thing, to serve, is a gift from God to this generation. Your ministry, your gifts, the charisma, the grace that God has given you is not simply a gift to you. It is a gift that God gives through you so that you can make a serious difference and have a serious impact in this generation. So for us, we can't not do what we're called to do. And we certainly cannot ascribe moving away from the ministry to God. We can't say God has said that because the going has gotten rough, it's time to move to a nicer place. Or because there is a serious need over here, that it's okay for us to leave the post that God has placed us in. But we have to say that God has called me here. Whatever needs to be done here, I can be a part of that. I can help with that. I can pray about that. But, but this is where God wants me. And somehow, if I maintain myself where God has asked me to be by the power of the Spirit, then whatever needs to be done here will be done here. But I certainly cannot decide, based on the fact that circumstances change, 
that difficulties enter, that hardships become a reality, that it's time for me to move on based on those things. That is something that I cannot allow for. Because I am a gift to whatever community I'm a part of. And if I'm not there, things are different. It's just that simple. I had to take a lot of, I, you know me, I had to take a lot of um, allergy stuff. So it drives me out here, but it drives me out everywhere. You know what I mean? But anyway, <laughs> but anyway, you understand my point of view. There is no way for me or for you to say when the going gets rough, God has changed his mind. I'm no longer necessary here. I'm no longer a gift here. I can go somewhere else and be a gift. No, you are a gift where God has sent you. And that place will never be the same if you're not there doing what God has called you to do. He says every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. The next thing that we recognize is God is your Father. When he called Jeremiah from the time that Jeremiah was in the womb, he made a promise to Jeremiah. He said, basically, again, like we've heard before, it's not by might nor by power. It doesn't matter how young you are or how old you are. It doesn't matter whether or not you think you have a gift or you don't think you have a gift. It doesn't matter whether you think you're ready or that you don't think you're ready. It doesn't matter whether or not you think you can handle the load. If God has called you, you can handle whatever you need to handle. <laughs> Hallelujah. You can go wherever you are supposed to be and do whatever you're supposed to do. You're going to be who you are. And the Bible says that God is the father of lights. God is your father and you are light. You are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And if you leave, there is nothing left but darkness. You have to be where you are. You have to serve where you serve. Because if you don't, the only thing that's left for that community is darkness. You and I don't have a choice in the matter. We can either serve and a community has a chance to live or we can pull away and they have no hope. Because the Bible says, Christ in us, the hope of glory. We are the glory of God. We are the light of God. We are the means by which God manifests his glory in this generation. We are the means by which Christ shows himself in this generation, not because of any strength in ourselves, but because of the God who lives in us, because of the spirit of Jesus who lives in us. It's the Holy Spirit who chooses to glorify himself in us, who chooses to shine through us. We're not just reflecting light, we are radiating light because the spirit of God lives in us. We need to be where we are. That's the nature of Christianity. When Paul writes, rather, I'm sorry, when James writes this letter, he begins by talking about the, 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 the diaspora, the, the seed that's been scattered around. We're everywhere. And we need to be everywhere. And so we recognize that we are a gift to this generation. We recognize that God is our father, which means even if we have a tendency um, to be unfaithful to the revealed character of God, God cannot 
deny himself. He remains faithful. He cannot deny his character. And if we turn to him, the Bible says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If in the process of us trying to run, trying to hide, if we should simply turn to him and say, God, help me. Because this cup is too much for me. And if it's any way possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. If we can say that by the power of the Spirit, because remember the Bible says it's God working in us both to will and to do, which means God gives us both the willingness and the ability. If we can say, I believe, but help my unbelief, if we can say, I want to do this, but I also want the cup to be taken from me. I don't want to do it. But nevertheless, it's not about my will. It's about your will. Your will, get a hold of my will and pull my will along and make this thing happen. Then according to what the Bible says, God, who remains faithful, will pull us into his own covenant faithfulness. And all of a sudden, we're moving in a direction that we know we're supposed to be moving in and doing what we know we're supposed to be doing, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. This is the key point here. The greatest temptation you and I will ever face is somehow believing that God has changed his mind about the call on our life about the place to which we're called, about the responsibility that we have to this generation. And we wind up committing a sin of omission, not doing what we know we're supposed to do. And we rest our laurels on the fact that we don't do the things that we're not supposed to do, and that somehow becomes enough. It's enough that I don't smoke and I don't chew and I don't go with girls that do and that kind of a thing. But I can pull away from an opportunity to save people forevermore because I have a boss that yells at me. I, I, I have to move out of this particular uh, community, this particular neighborhood, even though God told me that I want you to live there for a certain amount of time because I want you to be a light to that community and I want you to speak words to the young people that are there and give them an alternative. But it turns out that the last couple of people around me, you know, I had to go through some difficulties and I got a raise and I, and I can afford to move now and whatever the case might be. I'm not saying that you need to stay in a certain place forever. I'm saying you never leave any place because it's hard. I'm not saying you're not supposed to make some changes in your life when the time is right. But you never run from anything. Hallelujah. You never run from anybody. And we certainly don't stamp God's seal of approval when we find ourselves leaving a place because it's just too hard. It's just too difficult. There are times when God will say, okay, your work here is finished. Now it's time to move on. But that's different than saying, I don't have the grace 
to keep on keeping on where I am. I need to leave because it's too hard. I need to leave because it's too difficult. No, God does not change his mind. There is no shadow of turning with him. So we can't deceive ourselves and say God is okay with it. A word to the wise. I'm speaking prophetically now to somebody here who's thinking about leaving their spouse because it's gotten a little bit difficult. God will never tell you to leave this person or that person just because you're having some struggles getting along. I'm not talking to that person who's saying, hey, listen, I'm in a relationship where somebody's beating me down every day or somebody's committing adultery against me every day. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about irreconcilable differences. People are saying, I've outgrown this person. We argue a lot and we just can't seem to see eye to eye. You don't leave for that. <laughs> and you certainly don't want to stamp God's seal of approval on that. Okay, now back to our reg- regularly scheduled program. <laughs> okay, so there's no shadow of turning in him. And I'm going to close in this second with this. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. In other words, God took us from where we were, brought us to where we are, because contrary to what Jeremiah thought, God spoke the truth to us. He never deceived us. From Genesis straight through to Revelation, we know that this is war. From Genesis straight through to Revelation, there is no sugar coating this. Amen. We knew what we were getting into when we got into it. <laughs> right? If we read the Bible, if we were saved by God through the truth of the Word of God, by the Spirit of God, and if we have been persistent in studying God's Word and God's truth so that we didn't get some idealistic gospel that comes from television and radio sometimes. Not that there are not some really wonderful preachers that come through the airways, but there are some that are just very, very shallow and telling us everything is going to be perfect when you become a Christian. But if we let God speak his truth to us from the earliest stages, we know that this is a battle. We know that this is a struggle. But we also know that we win. We also know that we are more than conqueror. We also know that we take the victory. We also know that the gates of hell cannot prevail against us. We know that we win and we win and we win and we win. We know that. So yes, the battle is real. But God told us that from the beginning. So we're not deceived. And then lastly, that we are a first fruit of his new creation. God knows that we can bring life. God knows that we can reproduce. God knows because it's him doing it in us and through us. 
God knows that we can save people. That we need to be in certain places because people need us there. We need to do certain things because if we don't do it, this world has absolutely no hope, absolutely no chance. We are God's people. We are his only plan. There is no plan B. God was going to save the world through Jesus Christ and spread that salvation through his church. You need and I need to be where we are. We were never lied to. So we're not going to start believing a lie now. God told us it was going to be rough. So the last thing we want now is to hear the enemy whispering in our ear, it's too rough. You need to leave. God told us that we weren't going to be able to do anything in our own strength. The last thing we want to do now is open ourselves up to the lie of the enemy that says, because you can't do this in your own strength, you need to leave. We were never supposed to do anything in our own strength. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It was always supposed to be too hard for us. With man, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Don't grow weary in well-doing. There are some people in this house today who's going through a difficult moment. Sometimes it's relational. Sometimes it's financial. Sometimes it's medical. Sometimes it's emotional. We can go on and on. And you've been serving God with all your heart and all your soul. You're the kind of person who's made up your mind that you're going to follow Jesus. And there is no temptation that's working in your life on a regular basis that's a sin of commission. You might have some struggles, we all do, but that's really not what you're working with right now. You're not, right now, you're not sitting in this place feeling like you're driven to go out and commit some crazy sin. It's the sin of omission that you might be fighting with right now. I really believe in my heart that there's someone in this room who's saying, maybe, just maybe, I've given everything that I could, I've left it on the floor, as it were, and maybe there's a, 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 there's a problem over here, there's an issue over here, there's a need over here, maybe there's somebody in your family, and you feel like, maybe I should just dedicate myself to that. I've given everything I could on a general level, maybe it's time I just dedicate myself to this moment. I'm telling you, if you maintain your post, God will take care of what needs to be taken care of. <laughs> Hallelujah. Praise his name. I want to pray for you this morning.
I want to pray with anybody who's saying, and I know this might seem like a general or generic prayer, but it's not, who's saying it is really more difficult than I thought it would be. You might be in one of those fires that Daniel talks about seven times hotter than what you used to. Seven times hotter. And you can hear the enemy trying to exploit your fatigue. The enemy trying to exploit your concerns. The enemy trying to exploit your grief. And trying to say to you, God is okay with you letting go. He's not saying let go of God. He's saying let go of this thing that God has given you. And maybe let go of this idea that you can change the world. And I'm telling you, the commission that God has placed on your life is still in full effect. The call that God has laid on your life is still in full effect. God hasn't changed and you are not different than you were when he called you. Unless you consider the fact that you're more mature. That you're more able to trust him. You're in a better position to be used by him. Somebody in here whose heart is breaking right now. And you're saying, I, I, I got to take this cup away from me. I want to pray with you. And we're all going to pray together and say, nevertheless, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Now you understand, if you pray that prayer, you're in really good company. <laughs> because Jesus prayed that prayer. So don't think that this is one of those kind of prayers that you say, no, 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 I'm all right. I'm all right. I got it. I got it. I got it together. Jesus prayed that prayer. And he can be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. He knows. If God is speaking to you, you got nothing to hide here. You want to get alongside Jesus at Gethsemane and pray that prayer. This cup is too much for me, Lord. It's getting a little bit too much. I can't handle it all, but I trust you. I don't trust my own will, but I trust yours. I don't trust my own strength, but I trust yours. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, in the name of that great and holy Savior, we realize that there are times when it gets rough. Times when it just seems overwhelming. Well, we live in a very pressurized generation. But we also know that you called us to this city. You called us to the various places that we live. You called us to our workplaces. You called us into our families. You called us to our schools. Even when we hear various professors trying to teach us that there is no God or no hope. Or in our high schools where we might see gangs and violence. And 
our neighborhoods where we might see drugs and we might see this general apathy, pain, suffering, struggling, and we might feel it in our own lives, in our own bodies sometimes, in our own minds sometimes. And we sometimes feel like giving up, but Lord, we know that you can be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. We know that we're praying to you, but we also want to pray with you. We want to get beside you at Gethsemane because we know you can be touched with our heart's concerns. And we're going to say along with you, if it's possible, take this cup away from us. Nevertheless, 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 not our will, but yours be done. We can't depend upon our own desires, our own good intentions. We can't depend upon those things. We depend upon you. And we lay our head in your bosom and we acknowledge that you are a good God. And that you do know our hearts. You do know, Jesus. We say along with Peter, I know that you know everything and I know that you know that I love you. And we know it because you are the one that put that love there. And we come against every lie of the enemy that would try and say that somehow God is complicit in our temptations, that God has somehow allowed us and has okayed the idea of the sin of omission, has said, it's okay for you to leave. I know it's rough and it's okay. No, no, no. We come against that in Jesus' name. And we ask you to give us the grace to continue in what it is that you've called us to. We love you, Lord Jesus, and we thank you, God. Now, Lord, we pray before we dedicate our little children. We simply pray, lay your hand on each one. And cause your name to be glorified, oh Jesus. Let your praise go forth in every heart and in every mind. Protect us from every lie of the enemy. And let Jesus be glorified forevermore. We thank you for it, oh Jesus. And we bless you. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. Amen.